How is healthcare like OPEC? And what changes are coming to help clients deal with irrational pricing and misaligned incentives? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and chief transformation strategist, David Saltzman. This episode of the Shift Shapers podcast is brought to you by Captivated Health, a captive insurance arrangement designed specifically for educational institutions. If you have clients in that vertical, you know the healthcare deck has been stacked against them. Today, Captivated Health offers the stability, control, and savings they've been waiting for. For more information, go to www.captivatedhealth.com or click on the company logo on the Shift Shapers website. On this episode of Shift Shapers, we're pleased to be speaking with Mike Dendy. Mike is CEO and founder at Advanced Medical Pricing Solutions, or AMPS. Mike's had a really interesting career. He's seen claims and pricing from the hospital side, from the TPA side. He's got an awful lot of information and knowledge about dealing with the irrational pricing and misaligned incentives, and he does a great job helping folks make sense of those. So with that, welcome, Mike. Thank you, David. Glad to be here. We appreciate you sharing your expertise with us today. Now, one component that's not often talked about, and maybe it's a great place to start our conversation, is the myth of the PPO discount. I know you've done a lot of research about that. What did you mean when you talked about that, and and why does it matter? Well, the let's let's go back and start with how PPOs were first formed and what the intent of PPOs were and how they got off track. So PPOs came after HMOs had basically been expanded in California. And the intent of the PPO was to take the HMO model and add more choice for members. So if you think about a Kaiser model, you have a very small number of doctors and a, maybe a few hospitals that you can participate with. And that's good. And that, and that system has actually worked for many years and it still works fairly well. But you have people want their cake and eat it too. We all do. And so as the PPO initiative started, the concept was, hey, let's go out and find providers who have excess capacity and let's pair them with employers who want to buy healthcare at a discount. And we'll piece those together and it'll be a good program for both the the payer and the provider alike. So, and I was actually around then. I I was a broker's broker. And I remember going to my very first meeting and where I was introducing a PPO. And I told the employer about this PPO, and he said, Mike, when you can have my doctor and my children's pediatrician and my favorite hospital in that PPO book of yours, you come back and see me because I would like to buy at a discount. And I assume that must have happened to about a million brokers uh, several hundred thousand times in a fairly short period of time. And all the brokers and all the employers and all the TPAs ran back PPOs and said, look, you've got to have this doctor and you've got to have this hospital to be able to make this PPO work. That was not the concept. The concept was you took people, you took doctors and you took hospitals that had excess capacity and they were selling their excess capacity in exchange for steerage and discounts. But 
what happened then is the PPOs decided, hey, for us to stay in business, we've got to change our model. So they went back to the doctors in the hospitals who told them no in the first place and said, hey, I've got to have you in my system. I've got to have you in my network. What's it going to take? Well, put it that way, fine. Yeah, I'll give you a discount, but here's going to be the deals. You can never audit what we do. You can never question what we do. We'll give you a number. You pay 80, 90, 95% of that number, and you pay me within 30 days, and I'll be in your network. BPO said, hey, we had, they had already moved from a percentage of savings model to a PEPM model, which means they had no skin in the game. They said, hey, that's fine with us. So the PPO business went from being a business set up to provide savings to employers who are willing to steer to a smaller network of doctors to a, let's just put everybody in all the networks and let's make this about access instead of about discounts. And that's how PPOs got sideways with actually providing the service that most employers thought they were buying, what they were buying, which is discounted healthcare. We hear an awful lot about personal networks and skinny networks and whatnot. Do you think networks are on their way out? Yes. I think what is going to happen, and it's, it's happening now, and it's going to happen in a much in a much faster clip, is that employers and healthcare plans, you know, maybe ACOs, it may be IPAs, whatever it is, they're going to partner together. So uh, I'm sitting in Atlanta right now. Coca-Cola is in Atlanta. Home Depot is in Atlanta. UPS is in Atlanta. Three of the biggest companies in the country. They will all partner with three different healthcare systems in Atlanta. And that will be the healthcare delivery system for that employer group and their members. So let's say I'm at Coca-Cola, which will naturally partner with Emory Healthcare for a million reasons. They'll partner with Emory Healthcare. When they're interviewing someone and they're talking about their benefits, they'll say, you know, hey, David, welcome to Coca-Cola. Here's how our health benefits work. We use Emory. And you say, well, look, you know, my sister works at Piedmont. I really want to keep going to Piedmont. Hey, David, God bless you. We will we will reimburse you what we would have paid Emory, but we only use Emory here. Maybe you want to go take a job at UPS because they're tied together to Piedmont. I think that's what's going to eventually happen because by doing that, you start to create real synergies in healthcare. Right now, the more, the more sick the Coca-Cola employees are, the more money the doctors and hospitals make. So they're completely at odds with each other. How do they sit on the same end of the church pew when you're looking down at the end and say, hey, my profit was eroded this, this month because your healthcare system was so expensive for me at Coca-Cola. And what you want, what the employer wants is to get, a, to get in sync with that healthcare provider where they are incentivized to keep your, your group of people more well than have them be more sick. And the only way that can possibly happen is through some kind of collaboration. Now, think about it from the hospital side. The hospital's going to, they're typically not the best managed businesses in the country. They're going to have issues with HR. They're going to have issues with IT. They're going to have issues with all other types of things. Hey, so Emory Hospital or Emory Healthcare System calls over to Coca-Cola. Hey, we can't figure out how to deal with this IT issue. Would you send a couple of your geniuses over here to help us? That's collaboration. And I think that's what will eventually happen. And that's why there won't be any need for these PPOs long-term. You once wrote an article comparing healthcare to OPEC. What was that all about? Well, if you look at if you look at OPEC and the OPEC oil countries, and, it, and it's interesting that it's still going on right now, the cartel of the, of the OPEC group, uh, the Saudi Arabians and the Iranians and the Iraqis, for years absolutely held America hostage 
on oil cost. And I remember so many times, whether I watched CNBC or MSNBC or whatever in the morning, whenever the OPEC ministers would meet and oil was already $125 a barrel and we'd see all those guys walking into a room, you know, with their, you know, flourishing robes and hats and whatever. And we'd all be worried to death thinking, hey, they're going to go in there and they're going to raise oil prices again. We're all going to be driving Yugos. You know, Detroit quit making SUVs because nobody's going to be able to afford six, seven, eight dollar gas and driving those things. And we were completely at their hands. We were completely at their mercy. And then all of a sudden, even though we had president after president after president say, hey, we're going to reduce our reliance on foreign oil, eventually we found a way to get oil out of the sands and in Canada. We figured out how to do it through fracking. We figured out how to get it any number of ways. And we poured all this new oil onto the marketplace. Okay, so here's what happened. The Saudis and the OPEC nations stopped selling oil at $120, $140, $150 a barrel. And here about 18 months ago, they were selling it at $29 a barrel. $29. And they were pumping it as fast as they could pump it. If they were losing money at $29 oil, they wouldn't have done that. It costs about $10 a barrel to get oil out of the ground in, in the OPEC nations. So what happened was, is you had a new, you had new opportunities coming on the market that drove down the cost and everybody was buying it at a much cheaper cost. It's back up to about $50 now. And that's a short-term thing. It's going to end up staying in, in the 40 range. Well, the same thing can happen in healthcare. In America, we pay two and three and sometimes four and five times as much for a healthcare service is that service cost in France and Great Britain and Canada and, you know, and, and the Scandinavian countries. So the services can be delivered cheaper, but you have a cartel that's holding healthcare hostage. So at some point in time, that cartel will be broken just like the oil cartel was. So I was just opining that they're very similar and that we need that same kind of break we got in oil production on the healthcare side, and we would see the exact same results. Doctors and hospitals will continue to treat, and they can do services at 50 or 40 or 30 cents on the dollar of what they're charging primarily employers now and still be profitable. And now, a word from our sponsor. Captivated Health is a single-source solution for your clients and prospects who are in the education vertical. The founders of Captivated Health have nearly 20 years' experience working with educational institutions, and over that time, they've developed a keen understanding of the unique problems these clients experience. Frustrated by a lack of control, the unpredictability of ever-increasing healthcare costs, and the pressures and regulations of the Affordable Care Act, these groups have been adrift in the fully insured commercial marketplace until now. Captivated Health has built a program that solves those problems, and it does so with virtually no disruption to faculty and staff while saving clients millions of dollars. We wanted you to be among the first to know that Captivated Health is building a national distribution partner network so you can bring this cutting-edge solution to the educational clients you advise. To learn more about the Captivated Health solution, go to their website at www.captivatedhealth.com or click on their logo on the Shift Shapers website. And now, back to our interview. But it's not just the pricing that's messed up. Once you get past the pricing, there are big issues with accuracy of claims, aren't there? I mean, that's that's kind of where your field of study is. 
if you go again, go back to my description of how the PPO started. Hospitals bill off of a charge master system, so they use they use a software system called Revenue Cycle Revenue Cycle Management, and then their charge masters are built inside the Revenue Cycle Management system, and there are about one hundred and fifty thousand billable items inside of a charge master. So hospitals have software that the big consulting companies help them create. So they have software that says, "Hey, how can I maximize?" every item in that charge master so that I can get as much money off this service as I possibly can. One of the interesting pieces of software is called RevMax, like Revenue Max. How, how do you maximize your revenue? So the hospitals don't take any time whatsoever to cleanse a bill before it goes out. So obviously things happen inside a hospital, especially in a long hospital stay, are very complex. And, and there's a lot of changing, a lot of moving parts, etc. So it would take some extra work to get that bill correct, but it's not worth the hospital's effort to cleanse or to scrub that bill before it goes out because regardless of what they send out, they're going to get paid relative to that gross bill, that gross bill charges. So they would be leaving about 7 or 8% money on the table that they wouldn't be collecting if they took the time to scrub those bills. And what's unfortunate in our system is the great majority of payers, whether it's an ASO, Blue Cross United, Aetna Cigna, or an independent TPA, they don't take time to scrub the bill either because it's easier and more efficient for them to just take that uniform bill that the hospital sends out as an invoice and pay it with some phony discount on it. So the system actually is bad for the employer in particular on both sides of the equation, on the provider side and on the payer side as well. So which are worse? Obviously, the, the bigger dollars we know are on the facility side, but in terms of inaccuracies, is, is there parity between the facility and the provider charges? Is it much worse in the hospitals? It's, it's much worse in the hospitals. About if you, if you break down healthcare costs, about 40%, just a little bit less than 40% of the entire healthcare cost equation comes from inpatient and outpatient services. And in, in, in addition to the fact that they egregiously overcharge for so many things, the government protects many hospitals through certificate of need laws. So you can, you can have a hospital in whatever community and I could come in and say, hey, I can beat the crap out of David's hospital. I'm going to start a new one right here, and I'm going to be more efficient, more effective, everything. And the government says, nope, you can't put one there. Uh, We have a certificate of need law, and you're not allowed to build another facility there. So the government creates these monopolies, and then the hospitals take advantage of that monopoly to overcharge many times for a lot of their services. There's been a lot of talk in the industry recently, and it seems to be heating up about direct contracting. What is that? Why does it matter? And what, if any, problems will it solve? Well, direct contracting is where an employer group, a broker on behalf of employers will kind of take matters in their own hands and they'll go directly to a group of providers. They may go to a hospital, they may go to the ACO, which is a hospital and the doctors that they, they own and partner with and say, look, we're willing to create actual steerage to your to your group of doctors, your, to your, your hospital facilities for a better discount than you're offering us now. So there is no steerage in the current PO system. So all that went away because if you look at Blue Cross of Georgia, every hospital in the state is in Blue Cross of Georgia. Basically, every doctor in the state is in Blue Cross of Georgia. There's nothing preferred about a preferred network that everybody's in. So there is no steerage to be of value to providers for them to give additional discounts for. So to rent to, to remedy that, 
an employer can go directly to a, a set of providers and say, look, we will steer to you. We will fill up your excess capacity if you will give us bigger discounts. So that's considered direct contracting. And the PPO discounting programs are so bad that it doesn't take much for that employer to go to that provider and say, here's what we want to do and, and, and start creating that partnership that I talked about a second ago. So how can advisors take all of this information on, on pricing and errors and billing, et cetera, and use it to be disruptive and to deliver value to their clients? Well, the first thing everyone ought to do is not ask for, but demand transparency. Every, every broker, every advisor, every employer ought to question whoever is paying their healthcare claims Show me your process. Show me what you're doing to capture the mistakes that we know that doctors and specifically hospitals are making when they send invoices. What are you doing to catch those mistakes? And that needs to be investigated by a professional. After that, it is more making a determination about what the employer feels obliged to provide rather to their employee population. It's, it's amazing. I've got a family of four. My children are young. I'm medium, medium young. And my cost to have coverage is over $2,000 a month. I mean, that's just, that's just ridiculous. And, you know, we spend almost nothing all year long and we have so many coverages that we have no value for at all. My wife and I are not going to have any more babies yet. I've got to pay for maternity. I'm not going to have a Bruce Jenner type surgery in my life. Neither are my children. Yet I have to, I have to set money aside in case someone wants to have that so it can pay, be paid for out of my pool. So I think what's going to continue to happen is employers are going to continue to evolve and they're going to say, what services do we feel obliged to offer to our employees? I'm a big believer in long term, the only way to fix our system sans a single payer system is through what's called defined contribution. And what defined contribution means, David, is that if I'm the employer and you work for me, I'm saying, and you say, hey, I'm going to have a baby. Great, David. God bless you. Glad you're having your baby. We understand your wife's having her baby, your, your baby vaginally. We're certainly hoping there won't be any complications. The plan will, will set aside $8,000 for you to have that baby because we know that 60 or 70% of the hospitals will do it for $8,000. Now, if you decide, David, that you want to go to a hospital that's going to charge $20,000 instead of $8,000, you can do that. We'll pay eight and you pay the other 12. Or you call that hospital and tell them you've got a budget of eight and ask them if they'll do it. Otherwise, you're going to go someplace else. That actually creates consumerism. Now, people are more mobile now than they've ever been. There's no reason somebody wouldn't drive 20, 30, 40 miles to save an extra thousand or two thousand or five thousand dollars on a car, or a flat screen TV, or anything else. But no one ever asked them to consider that in healthcare. No one really knows the true quality of their providers, or one in a thousand people know the true quality in providers. So why wouldn't they drive 50 miles to save $10,000 or $15,000 on a knee replacement surgery? The problem is that employers in the big healthcare systems have not changed to an incentive versus a disincentive, a disincentive plan. So the data is out there to make that happen. You can have truly have a hospital on both sides of both sides of Peachtree Street going right down the middle of Atlanta. And one hospital might charge $8,000 for something that the other charges $50,000 for. And there's no incentive for that member to choose the one that's $8,000. And by the way, many times it's there's a converse relationship in that the lower cost provider, the lower cost facility 
many times is the higher quality facility. Yeah, we, we talk about that an awful lot on the podcast. It, it's very different than most other goods and services. We've got a couple of minutes left. You said something intriguing when we were talking off air that, and, and maybe this is the, the great question to end on. A lot of C-suite folks are just flat afraid of healthcare. And we're talking about doing stuff that in their mind may be very disruptive. How do you get them past that? Well, it's, it's an interesting question and it's something that I face every day because I deal with a lot of those C-suites and, and I, I equate it to, to being like a snake that nobody wants to touch a snake because they're afraid of it. You know, no matter if it's a poisonous or not poisonous snake, a friendly snake or not friendly snake, everybody's afraid of snakes. And they'd rather just hand that off and keep it at arm's length to say, I'm going to go back to making my widgets. I'm going to go back to making Coca-Colas and kind of to heck with this healthcare thing. I'm just going to keep on shoveling costs over to the employees and the members. And I'm writing this off on my taxes. So who cares? At some point in time, it gets so painful and so expensive that it becomes cost prohibitive for an employer. So healthcare expenses are typically the second biggest expense inside of a company after payroll. If you're a manufacturing company, cost of goods sold probably jumps in there a little bit ahead of it, but it's always the second or third most significant expense. At some point, it gets so expensive that it cripples the business because the cost is so high and they don't have that cost in Germany. They don't have that cost in Japan. I mean, take Detroit, the the the, the companies that make the automobiles in Detroit pay about $2,000 per automobile created in nothing but healthcare expenses for their employees. Well, they don't have that expense in Japan. They don't have that expense in China. They don't have that expense in Germany. So the U.S. automakers start off with a negative $2,000 bogey right off the bat in having cars and automobiles and trucks that are uh, marketable on the world market. They're $2,000 behind before they even roll off the assembly line. So at some point, if that's $3,000, $4,000, $5,000, when is it nobody's ever going to buy an American car because they're so much cheaper from other countries? It would have to set up tariffs and that type thing. So eventually, it'll be so cost prohibitive that we'll have to make a change just to be competitive on a world marketplace. That's a great place to, to leave our conversation for today, but we hope you'll come back and, and complete the conversation and, and get into some other areas. Mike Dendy, CEO and founder at Advanced Medical Pricing Solutions, otherwise known as AMPS. Mike, thanks so much for sharing your expertise with our audience today. My pleasure, David. Thank you. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Strategic Vision Publishing and David Saltzman. This podcast may not be reproduced in any form, in whole or in part without the express written permission of the producers. All rights reserved.